listening to sermons from South Point McDonough, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. Eternal life does not begin when you die. Eternal life does not begin when you die. For most in this room, we would claim that it has already begun for us, and praise God for that. But if your faith is in something else, eternal life can begin for you today. But even as we hold that in our hearts and in our minds, instead of looking forward to something, we know that we're in this already, not yet. We're in this tension of our lives where we can look back and we understand that Jesus Christ, he came to the earth, he lived a perfect life, he died for us, he rose again, he ascended, he is sitting at the right hand of God the Father. That's the already. So our faith, and we talked about this last week, faith is laying hold both of what has happened and what is going to happen. We have a hope now here today, this eternal life here today, and we have this future hope that Christ is going to return and vindicate his people and that he is going to reign for all time. But sometimes when we sit in this today, it's difficult because we have shadows and we have this picture of both the already and the not yet. And sometimes we're, we're sitting here we're like, man, I know this already is true, but why can it not yet get here sooner? Well, I, I, look, I look ahead, I'm like, I, I know that's true, but man, it's just, it feels like I'm in a, in a valley. Anybody else there sometimes? I, I know for me this past week has been one of ups and downs. Uh, and I don't say this to, to whine or complain, but I say this to help you understand, this is, this is where a lot of us are. And like Chris just said, may we look around with compassion at each other. This is where we are. And, and this is the tension that we live in. Here's how my week has gone. And, and y'all's weeks may have been way better and may have been way worse. I get that. I, I understand that. I can, I, can, I can empathize and sympathize with you in that. Last Sunday, I was so full, just spiritually full, coming out of the, conversa- the spiritual conversations workshop with Keith. Like it was just, it, it was fantastic. Just so full from that. And then Monday, I sat with a brother, and his daughter is dying of cancer. And it's just, it's devastating. As I was sitting at lunch with him, he received terrible news that some of the tests that she was having, they came back, and it was, it was just, it was bad. Up and down. And then I got a text about marriages that's here in the body that are on the mend. And I'm like, man, this is fantastic. Small steps, but positive steps in the right direction. This is great. And then on Tuesday or Wednesday, I learned of some folks that are my friends, um, and there's been a ton of betrayal that's happening behind my back. And I thought, man, this, this really stinks. I, I've invested years in these folks, and, and there's, there's mockery, gossip. Betrayal is the best word that I can think of for it. And, and I'm just like, man, I, I, was, I was in the pits Tuesday night. It, it felt terrible. And then later in the week, I'm, uh, I, I had lunch on Thursday with Matt Duran, 
talked about him before. He's uh, the worship pastor over, over at Eagles Landing First Baptist. And uh, he had COVID. He was in the hospital for months on months. And he was on a, a ventilator. He was unconscious. Like, it was crazy. Thought he was about to die. And it was great to have lunch with him and sit and hear his story and hear what God is doing in his life. That was Thursday. It was fantastic. It was great. And then Friday morning, I went to, we went to our boys' uh, school for their music program. In the middle of the program, I got a text from a neighbor five or six doors down. He said, hey, are you at home? Because there are EMS vehicles at your neighbor's house, the guy who lives right beside me. They said, he said, I, I, saw him, I saw them pulling uh, your neighbor out on a stretcher and pumping his chest. I thought, that dude's 41 years old. 41. He's not old enough to have, you know, physical health issues. He's in shape. He, he's, he's the ideal specimen. If you were to look at, uh, and look at Nas, you'd be like, man, that, that's goals. Like, that's it. He is, he is fit. He goes to the gym every single day. He's got a wife, two kids. One of his boys, he's 11. His name is Noah. He plays with my kids almost every single day. So uh, as soon as we left their, their, um, their music program on Friday morning, uh, we jumped in uh, the car and we rode over to, to Henry Piedmont. I had no idea where they were taking him. I said, they're probably taking him to Henry Piedmont. I go over there, go into the ER room, and I talked to the nurse there. I said, hey, I'm, I'm a pastor. Can I, can I get back and um, can I see Nas? And she was like, uh, family didn't necessarily ask for a pastor. I said, they didn't ask for a pastor. Like, that's, that's strange. Well, I happened to see uh, someone there that I knew come to find out Nas had gone into cardiac arrest and died at 41 years old. So I go back and I tell my wife, and she, we're both just bawling, sitting in the, in the parking lot. And I'm sitting in this tension between, God, I, I know your word is true. I know it in my mind. I, I know that you're coming back one day to redeem. But man, today just really sucks. It just does. So then I have to, and I was the second person there in the hospital besides his wife. He had just passed away. I don't know what to say to, to Sherwanda. Hey, man, just trust in, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not on your own state. We don't know. I don't know why I have to use a southern accent for that. I, I just said, I'm so sorry. She was in shock. She didn't even know I was there. I, I talked to her later. She had no idea I was even there. She didn't know what we, what we had, what we, she couldn't respond. So that night, Shana goes over and, uh, or she came over and talked to Shana for a second. She, we, Friday was just shot. When the person that you see almost every day, we'd had a conversation two days before. Great guy, nice guy, nothing wrong. It, it's this reminder that this life is short. It just, it just weighs on you. You know what I mean? Anybody there? Hopefully your neighbor didn't pass away this week. But, but you know what I mean. Different levels of grief and of stress and anxiety. So then yesterday, Noah, his 11-year-old, is in my yard all day, playing with my boys. And we still have this commitment to that family because Christ has not returned yet. And so even as we live in this tension of knowing that death is real. We know that eternal life is guaranteed. And we have this life. We have a few days, a few weeks, a few months, a few years, maybe hopefully, to use for the sake of eternity. So today we're going to look at the kingdom. 
We're going to look at what it means to, to have life in the kingdom. And we're going to look at Christ is talking about his second coming. But he talks to several different groups here. And so as we look through this passage that Chris just read for us in Luke chapter 17, and verse number, beginning in verse number 20, I want us to see that there are several different types of people that the kingdom is going to be a surprise when it shows up. But may we be ready. I hope we're not just sitting back and, man, I'm sure glad Jesus redeemed me. All right, nothing else to do. We press in. We obey because of his kindness, because of his grace, because he is returning again. Because there are those around us who need the hope of Jesus Christ. That's all we have to offer. That's it. So Chris just read this. We see picking up in chapter 17 and verse number 20. The Pharisees come to him. So being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus answered them. The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. He said, nor will they say, look here, there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. So first of all, we have the Pharisees here. These are self-righteous folks, but this applies to us as well, because the self-righteous can't see it. They can't see the kingdom of God. I think actually the Pharisees are asking an honest question here, which I think is really important. They're not asking something sarcastically, I don't believe. And, and Jesus gives them an honest answer. And all through here, we're like, man, what is, why is Jesus saying things like this? Because he's making a distinction. If, if you see it, you're going to get it. But if you're self-righteous, if you're hoping in it for yourself, you're not going to see it. The Pharisees are answer, asking an honest question. And they're like, Jesus, we've heard about this, this kingdom that's been announced. It was the, the angel announced it to Zechariah, John the Baptist's dad. He announced, he said, from your son, he's going to proclaim the kingdom of God. The angel announced it to Mary. She said, your offspring is going to usher in the kingdom of God. And then Zechariah in Luke chapter 1, later he says, the kingdom of God is on the way here. Then John the Baptist, what does he say? The kingdom of God is about to be here. Y'all get ready. Repent. Turn for the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's here. And then Jesus, all throughout the book of Luke that we've seen so far, even on his way to Jerusalem, what is he saying? The kingdom of God looks like this. It looks like healing and restoration and forgiveness and love and kindness and grace. The kingdom is here. And the Pharisees say, the self-righteous, they say, hey, you keep talking about the kingdom. What exactly are you talking about? Because the Pharisees were expecting a literal, physical, tangible kingdom with a warrior king that would rule on this earth, that would bring political power, one where they could experience great prestige, where he would make their lives better. And Jesus is like, you don't understand. Verse number 21, look, he, the very end right there, he says, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. The kingdom of God, some of your translations may say among you, and we can get off on a slightly a small theological tangent, but the best interpretation of the Greek there is actually what this says. The kingdom of God is in the midst of you. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am the embodiment of the kingdom. I am bringing in the presence of the kingdom. The kingdom is here because the king is here. That's what Jesus is saying. The kingdom is right here. But the Pharisees don't have spiritual eyes to see the kingdom. They didn't have spiritual ears to hear the good news about the kingdom. And the king is right there in the midst. The Pharisees are asking the king 
about the kingdom. They don't get it. They don't see it. They simply missed it because they missed Jesus. Years ago, I flew into uh, Los Angeles International Airport. When I lived out there, I flew to L.A. Um, a good bit from L.A., um, different spots, usually back here to Atlanta. But I remember one time I flew into L.A., and I was waiting on my ride. I had about a 30, 40-minute wait. So I got my bag, and I went to sit outside uh, in the pass-through where somebody can come pick you up. And the only open seat on one of these benches was, was beside this guy who looked like he belonged in L.A. He was... He, he had leather boots on, leather, leathered up. He had uh, bleach blonde hair. Uh, it was kind of like mullet-ish, you know, kind of long. He had tattoos. He was wearing sunglasses because it was 10 o'clock at night. And like he, he just, he was a, he was a bad looking dude. And, and I thought, I thought, this guy's somebody famous. And I thought, I think he might be a rock star. Like that's what he looked like, just rock and roll. Well, he actually struck up a conversation with me and we sat there and talked for like 20 minutes. I didn't want to be like, hey, I don't know who you are, uh, in case you're somebody. At the same time, in L.A., a lot of people dress like that so that they can become rock stars. And I thought, this guy may be a nobody. <laughs> like, he may just be dressing the part. Well, after about 20 minutes of sitting there, uh, this lady walks by, and she says, oh, my goodness, can I, can I, can I get a picture with you? And I said, it's, yes, it's fine. Just uh, make sure. <laughs> so... So he stands up and he takes a picture with this lady. Well, next thing I know, there's, there's a throng of people around this guy taking pictures. No lie, a lady was pushing a little baby in a, in a carriage. What do you call those things? Stroller. Like a baby wagon? I don't know. She's, uh, she's pushing this baby and she says, hey, can you watch my baby for a second? I'm going to get a picture with him. And I was like, yeah, sure. You know. Uh, so, uh, so finally, I asked somebody. After a few minutes, of just like just all these folks. I said, who is this? Now, this is like 15 years ago, okay? So I'm like, you know, seven years old. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, this is 15 years ago. And so I asked this lady, I said, who is this? And she said, that's Dog the Bounty Hunter. I said, what? <laughs> and if you, some of y'all are like, I had no idea who you're talking about. But at the time, Dog the Bounty Hunter was the number one show on cable TV. Everybody knew who Dog the Bounty Hunter was. I had no, I'd never seen the show. I didn't know that he went to Hawaii and across the world to look for these fugitives. And he, you know, he had married this lady who uh, was still hoping to break into WWE or something. I don't know what, but like that's, everybody knew. And I was sitting there talking to him, completely missed it. I had no idea that he was so famous. We see here the same thing. The Pharisees are concerned about the kingdom, but they ignore the king. They're sitting there talking to him. The self-righteous, they can't see it. Verse number 22, we picked up, and Jesus here talks about uh, the Son of Man. We see here, though, the self-righteous, they can't see it, but true disciples, they can't miss it. If you notice right here at the beginning of verse number 22, and Jesus said to the disciples, here's, here's the way that Jesus is, is communicating to both of these groups here. First, he's speaking to the Pharisees. He's addressing them and probably the crowds there. And he's talking about the already. He says, already, just so you know, Jesus is here. But then we're going to see that when Jesus speaks to his disciples, he turns the conversation into the not yet. So he says, hey, the Pharisees, they don't even understand the not yet because they don't understand me. They can't see me. But disciples, you who should understand, I'm going to discuss the not yet, the future with you. In verse, verse number 22, he said to his disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you won't see it. 
This term son of man is Jesus' favorite term, this favorite title for himself. And it comes from Daniel chapter 8. The term literally means that someone is coming to rule and to reign eventually. Jesus is going to show up. Jesus actually uses this phrase for himself almost 80 times in the gospel. His favorite one. What he's saying is, I'm going to come. I'm the king. I'm here. I'm going to rule forever. Politics aren't going to fix the issues that we have. Social media is not going to fix the issues that we have. A new government, a new political system is not going to fix the issues. The son of man is the only one. Friends, the day is coming when sin will be no more. Amen? When death is no more. When there's going to be no more sickness, no more pain, no more going to the gym, no more feeling regret because you don't go to the gym. There's going to be no more need for medicine or for doctors. There's going to be no more division or strife. There's going to be no more poverty. There's going to be no need. So in the midst of your hurting and your suffering, of your anxiety, of your pain, of your broken relationship, of your yearning, look to eternity. Turn your eyes to Christ. Take heart. The king is on the way. The son of man, he's here and he's coming again. Verse 23, and they will say to you, look there or look here. So again, Jesus is using the same thing. Look there, look here. Do not go out or follow them. In their context, they had several false messiahs that showed up in Israel. Some before Jesus, some after. And they would say, hey, I'm I'm the Messiah. I'm here to save. Jesus is saying, no, no, no. I'm not coming as one who is going to rule today. I'm coming as one who is going to suffer. So for those who are looking for power and posterity, those who are looking for privilege, those who are looking for significance or wealth or pleasure, don't follow them. We see this even in our lives. We've seen this for years. Uh, Whenever someone says, hey, Jesus is coming back on this day, there have been literally hundreds of those. He's coming back on this day. You know how many are accurate? So far, zero. Jesus doesn't say, oh, well, you know what? They put it on the calendar. They even had a committee vote on it. So I'll be doggone if we got to do it. Jesus is like, hey, hey, the the Baptists, they did that. So I guess it's got to happen. No. From, uh, if you even think back in some of our lifetimes, um, I, I don't know who, who the oldest person is in here. I doubt they're 108 years old. But even then, the Jehovah's Witnesses said Jesus is coming back in 1914. When he didn't show up in all of his glory, they said, well, he came back spiritually. He's here somewhere setting up his kingdom, I guess. You're like, yeah, that's kind of crazy. I'm like, I get it. But, but then we have even more um, cultic atrocities. If you think about Jim Jones or David Koresh or Heaven's Gates, like all these things, Jesus is saying, don't follow them. He says, keep your eyes fixed on my second return. Don't lose sight of the coming of the Son of Man. That's verse 23. Verse 24, for as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. It's going to be dramatic. It's going to be impossible to miss. Sometimes you hear a loud noise. We used to live beside a, beside a railroad track, and these trains would come through in the middle of the night. And we got used to it over the years. 
But ever so often, one would come through just laid on a horn. Like that's what they got paid to do is honk their horn all night long. And I remember a couple of times, I would, it, like it would just get you. You know, usually you got used to it, you can sleep through it. But every now and then I thought, Jesus is here. He's coming back. Hope I'm ready. And then I thought, wait, is Shannon in bed? Like, did I miss it? <laughs> uh, you're not going to miss it. And you've seen a, a bolt of lightning. You don't say, ooh, let me, let me examine how the lightning. No, no, it's there and then it's gone. Four times hotter than the surface of the sun. It's there and then it's gone. He says, when I show up, it's going to be, boom, here. You're not going to miss it. He says, so be ready. But then verse 25, notice this. But first, before the Son of Man comes again, he says, but first, by the way, there's no second here. So for all of us who are looking for all of the different steps, oh, well, we got to line the, oh, well, what about this? And over here, they're doing this. Like, that may be true, and uh, maybe we'll preach on the book of Revelation. I think we're doing that, um, that time that I'm out of town. But uh, like whatever that is, we can line all those things up. But here's what Jesus says, just for the reference, uh, just for reference, not a white-haired guy with his hair pushed all the way back and uh, a laser pointer. Jesus says this, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. That's it. So before we can get into the kingdom, we must go through the cross. Jesus says the road to the kingdom goes through the cross. So lest we think we can just make everything better on this earth, like we can avoid the cross, we can just be nicer to each other, we can try to preserve, we can try to um, just have better attitudes, just think positive, Jesus says no. You must go to the cross because there is forgiveness. You must lay your life aside and go to the cross because there you find spiritual power. It's not about you just working harder or doing better. Hey, and then you can get into the kingdom. He says, no, the path to the kingdom is through the cross. You surrender your life in the same way that I laid mine down for you. The road to the kingdom goes through the cross. And as we think about the cross, again, this is true faith. We look back at the cross and understand he calls us to surrender, to die. In chapter 9, I think, verses 23 and 24, he says, take up your cross daily and follow me. For the one who is seeking to gain his life and save his life, he's going to be the one that's going to lose it. He says, so look back at the cross. And while we're doing that, we look forward to the kingdom. That's what life in the kingdom is like. True disciples, they can't miss it. Verse 26, the third thing that we see here is that the world won't expect it. The world's not going to expect the second coming of Christ. Verse 26, just as it was in the days of Noah, so it'll be in the days of the Son of Man. There'll be eating and drinking. And then he goes down, if you look at verse number 28, we already read this earlier. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were doing what? They were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. So these days of Noah, if you go back, you look at Genesis chapter 6, we look at the days of Noah, you can look at Genesis chapter 20, we have the days of Lot. This, the same thing that's going on here that, that Jesus mentions, they were going to work, they were hanging out, they were eating, they were drinking, their lives were merry, they were starting businesses, they were watching shows on Netflix, they were scrolling social media. Now, are any of these things wrong or bad? Jesus doesn't say, hey, you shouldn't be eating food. No. No, none of these things are inherently wicked. What he's saying is this was the sum total of their lives. That was it. Th this made up their lives. There was no thought for eternity. Jesus' concern here is with our preoccupation with the things of this earth. 
and the fact that as we're preoccupied, we neglect eternity. But then notice, remember what happens with Noah and Lot? It didn't, how long did it take Noah to build the ark? Who knows? There we go, Monty. You get a gold star. 120 what? Days, hours, weeks? Years, thank you. It took Noah 120 years to build the ark. Now, as Noah's doing that, he's getting persecuted, chastised. Some scholars say it had not even rained on the earth up to that point. I actually happen to agree with that. So he's, he's, he's there in the desert. Noah and his sons, they're building an ark. Somebody walks up, hey, what are y'all doing? We're building an ark. What is that? Well, it's a boat. Oh, where do you put it? Uh, in the water. <laughs> water? We're a long way away from that. Yeah, but it's going to start raining. What is rain? Well, it's the water that comes down from the sky. Okie dokie. <laughs> like, cool, Noah. Like, we really believe. And Noah's like, no, no, no. God told me to. Oh, God told you to. Okay. Big, big rain God told you that he's going to come down. But then, same thing is true with Lot. Sodom and Gomorrah. What does Abram do? He says, if, but for 50, you would spare Sodom and Gomorrah because of all their wickedness. God's like, all right, if you can find 50 righteous. And, no, and Mo, uh, Abram's like, uh, what if we do 40? Uh, 30, 10. But even then, as soon as the rain fell from the sky, it was too late. As soon as with Lot, the fire and the brimstone fell from the sky, it was then that people realized life is not going to be as it has always been. All of a sudden, my preoccupations with this world have come to a sudden halt. So Jesus says, just as it was in the days of Noah and in the days of Lot, don't be preoccupied. Well, I, I, I've got to go to work. I've got to invest in my 401k. I've got to go to my kids' ball games. I, I've, I've got to do the dishes. I've got to cook food. I've got to do laundry. Don't become so preoccupied that you, you do all those things, but then you go to hell. Well, at least I had clean socks. For many of us, I, I would say for most in the world, we are more prepared for our next vacation than we are for eternity. We have given more thought the past couple of days, weeks, months to our entertainment and our vacations than we have to eternity and where our souls are going to be. Jesus here is saying, watch out. Be ready. Be on guard. Are you ready for forever? Have you turned to Christ? Have you repented of your sin? Don't be too busy to be reconciled to God. Please, don't be too busy to be reconciled to God. We see in verses 31 through 33, and Jesus here talks about those who surrender will find it. So the world's not going to expect it. Again, this is similar to his talk on the disciples. They're going to know it. They're going to see it. But only those who surrender are going to find it. He says in verse number 32, on that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. He said, okay, so when the Son of Man comes, if you're on top of your house, and you're just where they would hang out or work, uh, if all your stuff is downstairs, down inside, he says, don't go back in there to get something, to be ready to go. In the same way, if these two ladies are grinding grain, don't, don't worry. Hey, you know what? Hold on one second, Jesus. Again, we saw this in chapter 9. He says, no, no, let the dead bury their own dead. 
Like, stop worrying about all these things. Stop worrying about all these smaller things that in light of Christ's return pale in comparison. He says, be ready. This number, uh, verse number 32, this is, this is interesting. It just says, remember Lot's wife. So for many of us, we're like, what's the shortest verse in the Bible? Jesus wept. Well, here's number two. So you got two under your belt. Remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. Now, as uh, if you remember, the angels came from the Lord to Lot there in Sodom, and they said, hey, the town is about to be destroyed. Y'all need to get out. Don't look back. Take nothing with you. Just leave. So Lot and his family, they start heading out of Sodom. But you remember what Lot's wife did? You probably do. As they're, all, they're out of the city, the fire, the brimstone, it's falling. And what does Lot's wife do? She just turns around to sneak a peek. And as she does, she turns into a pillar of salt. Boom, she's done. She disobeyed, and she paid the price. She perished. She almost made it out alive. So, so with here as, here, as Jesus is speaking, there's a certain sense of urgency that's demanded. But even more than urgency, there's a detachment that Christ is talking about. So does he say, wake up every morning and don't go to work? Wake up every morning and don't brush your teeth? Don't clean your clothes? No, he says, but don't find your joy in your attachment in these things. There's a certain detachment that we should have. Jesus here is pressing on our affections. Jesus is pressing on our affections. You see, Lot's wife could get out of Sodom, but the Sodom couldn't get out of Lot's wife. Her eyes followed her affections. What she turned and looked at, man, the pleasures of this world, the desires of this life, the comforts of home, the people that I'm comfortable with, the things that I know so well, the issues and the relationships that I can control. She turned, she said, that's where my heart is. That's where her deepest, her greatest desire was. But friends, we can't live with God until we die to ourselves. He says, let go of these things. Remember Lot's wife. Don't give in to your lesser desires for the sake of your deeper desire. The deepest desire that you have can only be filled by Jesus Christ. So don't give yourself to all these lesser desires. There is only hope and satisfaction, fulfillment, and redemption in Christ and in him alone. And only those who surrender are going to find it. The last thing that we see here in these last few verses is that those who miss it, those who miss the kingdom, those who miss Jesus are going to perish. Verse 34, I tell you, in that night, there will be two in one bed. I, what's that old song? I wish we'd all been ready. Yeah, I used to, y'all remember that back in the 70s, 80s? I don't know. We played that as like a worship tune uh, back in the 90s. It was awesome. Probably led some people astray. But it comes from here. I tell you, in that night, there will, be two, uh, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, where, Lord? The disciples, they want to know. Okay, I need as many details as possible. Oh, let me get, let me get out my flannel graph. All right, let me draw some lines. No, no, Jesus knows what he says here. They, they want all the details. He says, it's going to be sudden. He said, you're going to know about it. It's like lightning. You're not going to miss it. It will be decisive. You're going to be laying in bed and boom, gone. 
People are going to be caught unaware. We're not going to have a heads up. He says, so be ready now. Be ready today. Be ready today, friends. But here's where he says, the disciples are like, okay, we understand, Jesus. You use all this weird language about Noah and Lot and Lot's wife. And remember, we got it. So now that we know what's going to happen, where is it going to happen? So the Pharisees are asking, hey, when's the kingdom going to show up? What are you talking about? The disciples are like, yeah, yeah, where's it going to be, Lord? And he said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. And that's the end of the chapter. Like, there's no explanation. Let me explain. Let me decide. No, no, he's just like, yeah, where the corpse is, there the vultures are going to be. You've seen vultures, right? You can see them circling. Or you see them, we were driving to Fayetteville last week, and uh, there was a, a dead animal on the side. I think it was someone's dog. Uh, rest in peace, a real animal. <laughs> Better if it was a cat. But uh, it's laying there on the side of the road, and there's vultures all over it. I know I'll get a text about that later. Uh, there, there are vultures just all over it, eating the dead animal. Now, I can guarantee you, they didn't chase that dog down. They waited for someone to hit the dog with their vehicle. Then they said, ah, death. But there were vultures sitting there eating. There were some on the fence. Nasty, nasty creatures. But then there were some up circling, circling this death. Whenever you see vultures, you know death is there. So Jesus is saying, there are two options. One is to repent and turn to the kingdom Secondly, if you see death, if all you see are corpses, you know that my judgment has arrived. He says, when I come back again, I'm coming back to exterminate sin. I'm not going to come back and say, hey, guys, it's me again. Now will you believe? Now will you please turn? He says, no, you turn today. You find life today or else you are going to experience eternal death with the vultures, with the corpses. Zero hope. He said those are the options. This is a warning, a warning of Christ's judgment because when he comes back, it's going to happen like a lightning bolt. It's going to be decisive. There's going to be no chance for but, but, uh, I, I thought, I did this. Jesus, look at all these things. I, I, I need to go do this. Just give, me, just give me like five more minutes. Can I just wait till this vacation is over? Can I just hit the pause button? Boom, it's done. There are two ways to live that we see here. First is you know that your place is in the kingdom. You have responded to Jesus Christ in faith you can sleep well at night. You can work hard out of obedience to him. You know that you are loved. You are in the kingdom. You've experienced life. The other way to live is for yourself. And you are going to be taken suddenly and carried to a place of death. And if you have not repented of your sin this morning, friends, that is where you will spend eternity. At that point, there's going to be no ands, ifs, buts about it. It's done. But today, Jesus tells his disciples, today, don't worry about the what, the when, the where, the why. He says, today, while you have time, you have the opportunity to respond in faith. You see, the first time that Jesus came, he came humbly. He was born to uh, lower class folks. He had to work as he grew up. He didn't have anything. He was chased by the king of Egypt. He was put to death eventually by us, by sinners. 
He lived humbly. He had no place to lay his head. In fact, one of his disciples is the one who got him killed. The most religious people in the world, the ones who put him to death, they went and, you know, kissed him on the cheek and said, this is the one, let's go crucify him. Jesus Christ became sin for us when he came the first time. Isaiah calls him a suffering servant. He came to identify with us, took our sin for us, and took it down into the pit. But when Jesus Christ comes again, he is coming in power, in radiant light. He is coming on a white horse, not walking around in dusty old sandals. He's coming with a sword protruding from his mouth. He's coming with a tattoo that's on his thigh, of a name that only he knows. He's coming with angels, thousands of angels, to rule and to reign for all of eternity. He's coming to demand war on sin. He's going to rule in peace. That's what's going to happen when Jesus Christ comes again. That's the not yet. That's what we're looking forward to. And so today, as we stand here in the middle, and we have hope of that, and we look back at the cross, and we're thankful for the forgiveness that we have on the cross, how are we going to live today? In the midst of your highs and your lows, spiritually, emotionally, physically, relationally, psychologically, how are you going to respond to Jesus Christ? Because of his grace, because of his mercy, he invites you into the kingdom. Eternal life doesn't begin when you die. It begins today. He invites you into the kingdom. He welcomes you in. He wants to make you a new creation. He wants to give you eternal life. But today he wants to give you new life. That is life in the kingdom. As those who are servants in the kingdom, those who are citizens of his kingdom, I would encourage you, you're like, yeah, I've got faith, I get it. And I would say, man, praise God. May we turn our eyes upon Jesus. This is repentance, is stepping back into the kingdom. You're like, yeah, I'm, I'm a child of the king. I get that. But what are the areas of life that you need to repent of, turn from, and turn to the glory of God? In what areas of your life are you living sinfully? For the immediate, for the earthly, for the temporal. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. Not just the face on the cross that was bleeding and, and battered and broken for us but the face of Jesus as he returns again to redeem, fully perfect us, his people. And the things of earth will grow what? Strangely dim. In the light of his glory and in the light of his grace. We have a better kingdom. We have a better king. He has come. He is here. And he invites you to step into his kingdom today.